Once again, we'd like to say thank you for being with us this morning here at City Church. As you know, uh, we're in a series uh, that we've titled, We Value Authentic Community. Uh, That word authentic infers that there can be a type of community or relationship and interpersonal interactions that are not authentic. Here at City Church, we desire authenticity above all else. Uh, In fact, the psalmist prayed in Psalm 51, God, you desire truth in the inward parts. Uh, And so it's not only important that we live our lives horizontally and interpersonally with authenticity and truth, but that's also what God requires of us. Because you've heard me say it here before, God cannot bless who we pretend to be. Mm -hmm. God cannot bless who we pretend to be. To be, And so we've been on this journey over the last couple of weeks, and we've been uh, discovering what the Bible has to say about authenticity, living with authenticity, or what it looks like to live in authentic community. We've used uh, 13, or we're using 13 one another statements that we find in Scripture uh, to help navigate this idea of authentic community. We've said that that phrase, one another, appears 116 times in the New Testament alone. And that suggests that God repeated this invitation, repeated this admonition to the early church because it mattered to him. Here's another reason why I think understanding the power and the significance of authentic community is necessary. Uh, As a pastor, I've heard people say things like, well, all I need is God. I don't need nobody. If that were true, then God would not have said in Genesis, it is not good for the man to be alone. Most of us limit that statement only to the context of marriage. But the idea of man not being alone extends beyond just the relationship with one man and one woman. It extends beyond the relationship between a husband and wife. Because if that had been the case, God would have told Adam, I brought you Eve and that's enough. You and Eve can live the rest of your lives in the Garden of Eden and experience marital bliss. Yet he gives them a secondary instruction, which is to be fruitful, to multiply and replenish the earth. That means community matters to God. In fact, one of the ways we say it here at City Church is God created us to be dependent upon him, independent from sin, but interdependent on each other. I'll say that again. God created us ultimately to be dependent on him, independent or free, victorious over sin, but he requires an interdependence on each other because no man is an island. One is too small a number to accomplish anything great. You can't do it alone. We need each other. And if community is going to work, it has to be authentic. That is the basis of a functional community of believers, that we have to be authentic with God and with each other. And so we exegeted that word that's used for community in the New Testament, koinonia. And I say this over and over again. I say this over and over again so that we can remember what we are invited to participate in as Christ followers. Koinonia, the word translated fellowship in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 means close association. 
it means joint participation, everyone doing their part. And it also means intimacy, intimacy. Having a close, personal, intimate relationship with the people around you. And that is what makes for a healthy church. Now, let me go on to say that the principles we are sharing in this series and every message we'll preach from this platform is not just limited to City Church. These principles are transferable and will help you in every area of your life. You can transplant these principles and use it in your personal life, your business relationships, your interpersonal relationships. So listen, this is not uh, uh, an attempt to make you love City Church more. This is God's word to us to help us experience a richer, fuller life. So I think at, at this point we've covered uh, five, five of the 13, yes. five of the 13. Uh, we jumped around last week and I just felt prompted to do that. And, uh, but this week um, we're gonna land on number, we're gonna begin with number six. We're gonna begin with number six, the sixth one another statement. Now, many of you follow along on version. Uh, if you have the Bible app, in fact, we should have instructions on the screen, Ken, if you could pull those up. And that's how you can access our notes in real time on your mobile device, your phone, your app on version. I encourage you to, to follow along in your notes, add your notes as God speaks and ministers to you. Uh, this is why I'm excited about this series. Uh, I'm particularly excited about this series because we're already getting feedback about it. Uh, in fact, my wife has had two meetings uh, uh, that were deeply personal and intimate uh, with two individuals who were ministered to in a powerful way, in a powerful, I mean, powerful and profound way. And, uh, and they wanted to make some changes and wanted to do some things differently in their hearts. And, uh, and they reached out to my wife. It's a powerful, powerful time of ministry. This morning, it was 6.44, and I got the text from somebody here at this church. And in fact, let me read the text verbatim. I won't tell you who it's from, but let me read the text verbatim so you know, uh, so I don't get it wrong personally. And it just got me fired up, man. I mean, it just put some major octane in my tank. Because sometimes as pastors, we wonder, does anybody get this? Does anybody get this? And so when you're getting this feedback where people hear the word of God, and again, this is not Ray and Wendy's thing. Our greatest commitment is to present the word of God to God's people. But when we, when we see the response to God's word and that people are actually embracing the word of God and making adjustments, man, it blesses my heart to no end. So listen to the sermon I got, I mean the text I got at 644 this morning. Somebody said, y'all don't be texting pastor before seven. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Just kidding. Check this out. The person said, just a side note. Your sermon last week prompted me to reach out to a couple of friends who had been fighting with each other recently. I spoke to them individually, and they have since rekindled their friendship, and they have worked things out. You say, well, Pastor, what's the big deal? Notice, this person didn't need it for themselves. But he knew two people who needed it. And he became a mediator. He became a peacemaker. And because of 
something he heard here at City Church that he didn't need personally. He reached out to two people who he knew needed it. So when we say the stuff you hear here is not just limited to the context of City Church, you can salvage and restore relationships because you take God's word, not Pastor Ray and Wendy, God's word seriously. It's a big deal. Big deal. In fact, I got another voicemail this week. And someone said the same thing, something similar about how the message had impacted them. So, so, so this, <laughs> this morning, this morning, uh, we're going to attempt for three one another statements. And I'm going to let you kick off. Uh, but I, I think I call these the big three. Because if we're going to struggle with these instructions, these commands from God, I think the biggest struggle is going to come with these three things. Number one, do not judge one another. Number two, forgive one another. Number three, confess your faults. Come on, somebody got me right there. (laughs) Confess your faults to one another. We will attempt to cover all three. All of these instructions from God are for our benefit. They are for our good. They are for our good. So my my encouragement to you, and we prayed that this morning, and we prayed that last night as Wendy and I are praying for the service and praying for you. We prayed, God, don't only give us the grace to say it, but I pray that you will give our church the grace to hear it. It's a big deal. And we're going to get into the message here in a second. One of the reasons as a pastor I rejoice when when people get it and people are responding is because of what Jesus taught about the parable of the sower. And he said the sower sows the word. But just because the sower sows the word doesn't mean it's going to bear fruit. Because sometimes the sower sows the word on stony ground. And because the ground of our heart is hardened, it cannot take root. Read Matthew 4. This is Jesus talking about how the kingdom works. That it is possible for people to gather to hear the word of God, but because of the condition of their heart, the seed bears no fruit. It's not because the seed is bad. The seed is inherently good, but it falls on bad soil. The second one says it's thorny ground. And the seed falls on the thorny ground, but the cares of this world. Listen now, the cares of this world, the distractions of what this world has to offer, the promise of a life that is better than the life that Jesus offers, chokes the word. And it says something about that that thorny ground. It talks about not only the cares of this world, but also the deceitfulness of riches. Uh Uh-oh, there's the third kind of soil, but here's the fourth kind of soil. It says, and some fell on good soil, and it bore much fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. My prayer is that here at City Church, the condition of our heart will be conducive to the seed of God's word so that it can bear fruit in our lives. 
People say stuff like, man, I'm going to another church because I'm not being fed. And they go to another church, I'm going to go to another because I'm not being fed. And they go to the next church, I'm not being fed. How about you check the condition of your heart, though? Because the seed of the word will only flourish in soil that is good. And that's why Solomon said, guard your heart with all diligence. For out of your heart will flow all the issues of life. All the issues of life originate in your heart. It's not what's happening externally that matters. It's what's happening internally as a result of what happened externally. I'll say that again. It's not what happened to you. As horrible and as traumatic as it may have been, I'm not trying to minimize it. Ultimately, the difference maker is what's happening in you now as a result of what happened to you then. It's the condition of the heart. And the reason I rejoice when somebody sends me a text or calls me or sets up a meeting with my wife or me to say, you know what, Pastor Ray, I get it. It's an indication of the condition of their heart. You know that, 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 that the word picture in Proverbs uh, 4, when, uh, as, uh, when Solomon writes, guard your heart with all diligence? It is the picture of building a garrison or a fort, a fort around your heart. The problem is, we build walls around our heart. But the problem is, we, we build walls that keep the wrong things in and the right things out. And that's what Robert Frost said. He says, before you build walls with your life, make sure you know what you're walling in and what you're walling out. That is the central idea behind why many of us don't grow beyond our last pain, our last wound, our last hurt. Is because we never examine the condition of our hearts. And our hearts become hardened. And God is trying to reach us. Heart so hard, can't nobody reach you. There are people trying to love you and you shun them. Because you harden your heart. And this is what God says to do. We're not supposed to have, uh, 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 what we do is, what, this is what we do, this is what we do. We're supposed to have thick skin, tender hearts. What most of us have is thin skin and calloused hearts. Nobody can say nothing to you. And we let everything get through our skin and get to our heart. And now we live with hardened, calloused hearts that not even the word of God can get through. The spirit of God can get through. No matter what people say to you, no matter how much people try to love you, you're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? because of what we have, we've allowed to happen to our hearts. So this morning, we're going to talk about three things that sometimes contribute to the hardness of our hearts. Judging one another, not forgiving one another, and not being willing to tell one another about our shortcomings. So, um, my beautiful wife, I'll let you kick it off. And uh, I may interrupt you. That's all right. Yes, it is. Because we like Bonnie and Clyde. 
you my ride or die. That's right. My ace boon coon. Girl, you are to me all that a woman should be. Dedicate my love. Come on, somebody. To you always. Your turn. Come on. And we. I got 99 gifts, but singing ain't one of them. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Well, good morning. So this morning, we are going to start off with do not judge one another. And that's taken from, we're going to look at the scripture in Romans 14, 13. First, I did not remember to uh, give this other translation, but Ken, we're going to go with the one that you have, and then I'm going to read one from the message. Uh, from the New King James Version, Romans 14, 13 says this, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in another in our brother's way. And so let's not do it anymore. The message translation that we don't have up on the screen, but uh, we had prepared this weeks ago, and then I added to it again this week uh, as we were praying and studying. In Romans 14, 13, in the message translation says this, Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of someone else making life more difficult than it already is. And so do not judge one another anymore. I can guarantee you that we have been taught judgment the wrong way. Judgment from God and through his eyes was never for criticism. You know, we have the scripture that says you can judge a tree by the fruit it bears. The context that that is given in is a context of salvation. Going to heaven, going to hell, being judged by God because all of us will be judged. But it says, let us not judge one another anymore. Judgment is supposed to be as a principle to decide what's right and wrong, not for criticism. And so the elementary school teacher in me, I just did a couple of signs. You may not be able to read them. I did the best we could with what we had. But uh, Lisa, can you come to me, please? And Miss Pat. Okay, so Lisa, I'm going to give you this sign you can hold up. So we're going to look at judgment. Miss Pat, you stand right over here. And... Joshua, if you could come to me, but you don't, you don't show yours yet. You stand over here. You just keep that. Don't show it yet. So when there is a situation, something happens, which means an action or an incident, and we see it, we witness it, we hear about it, then there's going to be a corresponding result, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So you have something that happens, you hear about it, an action, an incident, there is a result. It could be good or bad. This is what judgment is supposed to be for the believer. Judgment equals the principle to guide our own actions, not to criticize. So if a situation happens, 
uh, let me get a situation. Here's a situation. I was teaching, I was a children's pastor about 11 years ago. We run background checks. The particular church that I was at, the small groups, that's where they recruited a lot of the, 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 the servant leaders, the volunteers. And so we had this pretty aggressive uh, home group leaders that were just, this family was pretty new, and they were like, come on and serve, come on and serve. And so the husband just felt pressure because this particular home group leader, she served in children's church. I was a children's minister. We're building teams. Back then, we would have anywhere from 150 to 315 kids on any given Sunday. And so we needed, I mean, a small team was 25 adults. So this particular gentleman, he fills out the background check, and it comes back, dun, dun, dun. Because the only thing we're looking for on a background check is crimes against children. And so uh, what was on his report was a misdemeanor for indecency with a minor, but then it had been overturned. As a leader, you know we can't get anywhere near that. Even though it was a misdemeanor and he had not been convicted, that's not anything we can deal with. So we're still talking about there's an incident that happened in his past. He fills out this background check. The result is this thing pops up as a flag, not a crime against a child. It just says indecency with a minor, and it was suspended. I know about this. Now I have a choice as a believer, not a leader. I have a responsibility as a leader. Love covers a multitude of sins. This particular gentleman was now married. His wife is pregnant. They've got multiple children. And I have a choice. I did not discuss it with anybody. So the next time I see him, we're standing in the hallway at church, and I said, hey, and we're not even looking at each other. We're standing just like this. Actually, I was over here. He was to my left. And I said, hey, I ran your background check. And I said, you've got small kids at home. So I'm just going to recommend you to one of the parking lot teams. And I just prefer you. I don't want to wear you out. And then he said, yes, ma'am. And I said, we'll just keep that between you and I. So here's the story. I don't want to wear you out since you have small children. But I'm going to connect you with the captain and I'm going to have you serve on the parking lot team because you have small children at home. And he said, thank you, ma'am. And we never discussed it again. And he served with the parking lot team, and he's doing well. Judgment would have been like me running to my pastors. Oh, my goodness, this guy, I can't even believe it, and why would he fill this out? The gentleman had also been a police officer, so he knew what he was doing. And he tried to only give me his license and not his Social Security, but the company that we service runs a background. It runs it all because there's a liability. So there was an incident. There's a corresponding result. What I do is let it guide my own actions. I cover him. And as a, he was new to the church, so I don't just say, oh, well, we're not going to have you serve in children's church, and that's it, and just leave him. Well, what does she think? Am I ashamed? It was in his past. I don't get to judge that. He doesn't get to serve in children's church. So that protection was number one for the name of Jesus. Number two for that gentleman who is now married with children. Number three for my pastors and that church. We all have a past. And the difference between me and him is nobody ran a background check on me. 
You know what I'm saying? The difference between, we don't, I don't know the circumstances. So judgment is for us to see what happens and to guide our own actions, not to be critical of one another. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And we used to sing that old song, can't nobody do me, do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. And we've always looked at that positively. If somebody has done something wrong to you, you don't have to be vengeful and let bitterness consume your life and steal time and happiness and peace and health from you. Because there is not one tear that you have shed about it. You might not even be able to cry about it. There is not one thing that God does not notice. And he is the judge. But that same judge that we have in God is the same person that is merciful, that is loving. The Jesus that we serve and present is a restorer. And this gentleman didn't need me, somebody he didn't know from the church, bringing up his past and causing he or his family more shame. Thank God I'm a wife. And there are some things, and I'm not, I'm not a male basher because it could be flipped. There are some things that our spouses may do that we had nothing to do with. And I would not ever want another woman to be shamed, children, about something that was none of my business in the first place. He just did not know how the, the, the person was doing well and just kept being aggressive. So I told her, girl, he got all them little kids in the house. I don't want him coming here because then he's going to stop coming to church and he's going to be all frustrated, which is what can happen. And I wasn't speaking curses, but I needed to throw him a blanket because she was so on him and she was building her team. And she was like, come on, you got to serve. And I said, no, he's a man. Let's preserve him. He needs to be around other men on Sunday and not with some kids. We needed him like we need air. But we never let need dictate our culture. Because what he needed is really to be around some strong, healthy men. He needed his past to be the past. Thank you all so much. Alicia Keys has the song. This is not the gospel, but I love it. On her IMCD, I'm not recommending that you get it, but she has a song with John Mayer. And she says, it's called The Past because I'm getting past and I ain't nothing like I was before. You ought to see me now. <laughs> she says, yes, I was burned, but I call it a lesson learned. Mistake of a turn, still I call it a lesson learned. My soul has returned. Still, I call it a lesson learned. And John Mayer is in the background singing, it's all right, it's all right. When I heard that song, I said, that is the heart of God. Yes, I messed up. Nobody didn't do it. I messed up. Mistake of a turn. And just isn't that just like God, our God, in the background? It's all right. It's all right. This gentleman, he did have a consequence to his actions, to his mistake. But love covers. So judgment is a principle to guide our own actions, not to point the finger. Because what is the saying in Matthew? The same judgment which you judge will also be measured back to you, that same judgment. And I, I, I have forgotten that scripture so much. I was like, snap, I have to do judgment because I was doing, I mean, I almost couldn't get through the study for repenting. 
because we have allowed our culture, not the word of God. We've taken the word of God out of context, and then we just throw stones. We throw bricks, and we point fingers. I'm not even talking about the world. I'm talking about the church, and I'm not getting on you, but I'm, this is time for us to change because the Bible knows where we are. It says, let us not do it anymore. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them that are in Christ. So you just do a good, Lord, forgive me, help me, Jesus, and we'll move on. Our first responsibility is to protect children. So just because someone, uh, we don't judge or uh, people have a new beginning, uh, we still have to do what is right and necessary to protect children. So that'll never, that'll never change. However, uh, we're not going to shame people either because of their past. Okay, because of their past. So those two things are critically important. Two things to understand about judgment. Notice what what Pastor Wendy said. Judgment helps us. It's a principle that helps us to understand how to guide our own actions. So when we see someone else miss the mark, it becomes a cautionary tale for us to say, this is how this person's life ended, or these were the consequences this person experienced as a result of their, their decisions. This is a warning to me not to follow suit instead of becoming critical of them or judgmental of them. It becomes a lesson for me not to follow suit. The second thing is this. Don't jump to conclusions about someone prematurely. You cannot believe everything you see. Because just because it looks one way does not necessarily mean it's true. I have a pastor friend who almost lost his church because he was across town having lunch with his wife and his sister-in-law. His wife got up from the table to go to the restroom and he's sitting across the table from his sister-in-law. And they're just laughing and joking around at somebody from the church sees their pastor across town with a woman they don't know and started spreading rumors that the pastor was having an affair. And he was simply sitting at the table with his sister-in-law in a moment when his wife got up from the table. Most of us rush to judgment. Most of us jump to conclusions about people prematurely. This is what the scripture says in Proverbs 18, the message translation. It says the first speech in a court case is always convincing until the cross-examination starts. Be careful about jumping to conclusions and taking sides before you hear the whole story. Well, she my girlfriend, and he ain't no good. All men are dogs. Did you hear the whole story, though? Did you hear his side? Because there's always three sides to a story. His side, her side, and then the truth. And we rush to judgment based on only one person's side of the story. One person's version of the facts. Here's the second thing about people. You need to know their story before you become their judge and jury. Let me say that again. Know their story before you become their judge and jury. There is a way or there is a reason that person may be acting the way they act. And if you simply took time, instead of judging them based on what you saw, if you simply took time to know their story, you probably would be a little bit more compassionate to them. Just as you 
want other people to be compassionate to you in the areas where you struggle. The way you create a... Am I cutting in and out? We create a healthy, authentic community is take the time to get to know the person. And you might be less likely to judge them based simply on their actions. Number two, let's talk about forgiveness. Let's talk about forgiveness for a second. Y'all ready for that one? Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. Let me tell you what most people think. We think we're doing them a favor by forgiving them. Whatever you are unwilling to forgive follows you around. It stays connected to you, and you stay tethered to it. So it's not a favor you're doing anybody but yourself. You guys have heard it said before. You know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, thinking the other person's going to die. The only person that dies is the person who continually drinks the poison of unforgiveness. Now, notice what the scripture says. The measure and the extent to which we ought to forgive. Notice what it says. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Do we have that, Ken? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. If we can put that on the screen, I have it here. In fact, I know it by heart. It says, be kind and tenderhearted. Listen, what is it? Number one, just be kind. Number two, be tenderhearted. Then we talk about what happens to the, the heart over time, that it gets hardened. But the scripture says, be kind to people. And number two, guard your heart to make sure your heart remains tender toward people. Notice it says, forgiving one another. There's that phrase, one another. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Now think about how much forgiveness and mercy you've needed in your life. The extent to which I forgive others is the same extent and the same degree to which I have needed forgiveness. No strings attached. To let it go completely once and for all. Not holding on to it anymore. It's hard, man. It's hard. It's hard. Can I tell you it's hard? It's hard. It is hard. Because the people you love the most are the ones who have the, the, the capacity and the potential to hurt you the worst. It's easy when it's somebody you don't care about. It's easy when it's somebody you don't have history with. It's easy when it's just a casual relationship. And, and when I say it's hard, man, it's hard. Especially if you love people. And you know what the scripture says, man. Love people. And when you're a pastor, it's even tougher. It's even tougher, man. Can I, can I just talk to you about this for a second? It's hard, man, to keep a tender heart 
Have any of you ever experienced a bad breakup? At least once in your life? There are a couple of hands, a few people honest enough to, to say, yeah, I've had a bad breakup in my life. Uh, pastors have bad breakups almost weekly. Let me, let me say that again. Pastors have bad breakups almost weekly because we love people. We love the sheep. And just in case you think this was just unique to, to pastors that you know and see, it's not. Same thing happened to Jesus. You, you, you remember when, when, when Jesus was coming into one city, there were 10 lepers on the outskirts of the city? And these people had been ostracized and marginalized because of their physical condition. They were considered outcasts and weren't allowed to come into the city because of their physical ailment. And they see Jesus from a distance and they start to cry out to Jesus. And, 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 and Jesus stops and he responds and he sees the lepers. And, and this is what Jesus says to them. He says, go show yourselves to the priests. When no one else would stop to help them, Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, the pastor, stopped to help them. When everybody ignored them, when they were considered unclean and people could come near them to touch them, Jesus stopped to minister to them. Listen to this now. He tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. So the scripture says, as they're going to the priests, they're all healed. There were 10 lepers, y'all. And the scripture says only one came back to say thank you. Now the scripture goes further and it says that this one who came back was a Samaritan. Not only was he a leper physically and his condition uh, made him an outcast, but he was an outcast twice over because he was a Samaritan. He was considered a half-breed. He was socially unacceptable. Jews had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with Samaritans. And the one who came back was the one who was not just a leper, but he was also a Samaritan. Now, can we pump the brakes there for a second? Because we're going to talk theology for a second. We believe as Christians that Jesus was God and that he was man. A lot of times we talk about the divinity of Jesus, but we say very little about his humanity. If it's true that Jesus was man and God, then Jesus felt what you and I feel. In fact, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4 that he, he was tempted in every way yet without sin. And he, that he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That he feels what we feel. That, that he's a man of compassion and a man of sorrow. And notice Jesus' response because what we do when we preach that story is we celebrate the fact that one person came back and gave thanks. And we celebrate the, the one Samaritan who was grateful. In fact, that's a whole message in itself. Just be grateful. Just be thankful when people help you out of your mess. Don't ever forget where you came from or how far you've come. Notice what Jesus says in this text. This will help you. Because this is Jesus speaking. This is what Jesus says. Were there not ten healed? This is the very son of God. He stops long enough to consider this. I just helped 10 people. Jesus was counting. Jesus knew that he had helped 10 people. And he stops and says to the one, shouldn't there be, in fact, he says, where are the nine? 
And I'm, I'm in this room, and I, I, I see Ron, who is a church planter, planted a church in California, relocated with Toyota. I see Damon, who's a, who's a minister. I see Stephen Jones, who have all pastored. If you've ever led people, in the back of your mind, you've asked that, yourself that question, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Hold up. Didn't I just help ten people? that couldn't even come into the city, that no one would even touch? Didn't I just help these 10 people out of their worst situation and circumstances? Where are the nine? And this is what people say to, to pastors. Oh, just love. Oh, just love. We do. But every time you heal 10 and nine leave, you ask yourself that question, where are the nine? One of the beautiful things also about that story is, is God, did I get, Jesus didn't get hung up on the nine that didn't come. He didn't say, well, only one came back and these other nine didn't help. So forget it. I'm not going to help anybody else because people are a trip. They don't, they're not grateful. It get, we can recognize it. We can mourn the hurt behind it. But don't let the nine stop you from healing the one. The one. And so what happens, and that's what we're getting to, right? What happens is we, not just pastors, we become so fixated on the rejection of the nine that we don't stop long enough to love the one who came back. We don't stop long enough to love the one who stayed. And we make, my wife and I call it the ex-boyfriend syndrome. We make the new boyfriend pay for what the ex-boyfriend did. And instead of ministering to the one who came back, this is what we do as pastors. This is what we do as people. We make the people who stayed pay for what the people who left did. Jesus turns to the one who came back and he lays hands on him and says, your faith has made you whole. Two different Greek words. The nine were cleansed. That means the leprosy was removed from their skin. But you guys know that leprosy is a debilitating disease that eats off your fingers and digits. What that word defers was that they were cleansed of their leprosy, but the one who came back was made whole, fully restored. Digits restored, fingers restored, restored spirit, soul, and body. Jesus had enough emotional fortitude to continue to minister to the one person that came back without being so fixated on the nine that left him. My question is, do you have that in you to forgive so completely that you can love the one you're with without being fixated on the one who left? Knowing how much you yourself need the forgiveness of God. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter, I mean Mark chapter 4, where the scripture talks about mountain-moving faith. Verse 25 says, and if there's any unforgiveness in your heart, let it go. You know what mountain-moving faith requires? It requires a forgiving heart. Let me talk to some of you who are believing for mountains to move in your life. May I suggest that maybe the mountain hasn't shifted and hasn't moved because of what you're holding on to? Read, read verse 25, baby. 
Mark 11, 4 and verse 25. Well, read, read uh, 23, 24, 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. I'm sorry, Mark 11. Sorry. Sorry. Loud and wrong, y'all. Forgive me. Mark 11. The end of 22 says, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. No, it's huge. Huge. Not only does Jesus connect our faith and our ability to move mountains to forgiveness, he also says, if I don't forgive others their trespasses, I will not be forgiven. One thing we want you to be encouraged about is forgiveness does not mean you condone what someone did. Forgiveness, when you forgive, it doesn't say you're saying, oh, it was okay. And I think we get that. I want to set you free from that. I think sometimes we can, at least sometimes I've equated that. Uh, not really thinking about forgiveness, but people say, well, I forgive. I'm not going to let go. But forgiveness is the letting go. Forgiveness is not saying, oh, it was okay what you did or that's okay or I'm going to be just a good Christian. And You're not signing on for that. Forgiveness is saying I'm going to be a gift to myself and I'm going to turn you over to the Lord. And one thing is, is when we try to take things into our hands and we make people pay. Now we have a situation. He's not here. Don't tease him about it. Levi told a girl at school, he had been being bullied this year. He had a, a, a pretty interesting school year. And uh, these boys were, were, were bullying him. And so he had just had enough by the end of the year. So there's a little girl named Trinity that lives next door, and they will hug when they see each other. So a girl told Levi, oh, you love Trinity. He said, she's just my friend. She said, you love Trinity. Levi told her, I will take this pencil and stab you in the eye. Well, we don't play. Violence against women is not anything we're going to do in our household, and it starts when they're young. And he has a sister, so we've started young. When she says no, when girls say no, they mean no. She means no. And so I come home, I come through the garage, and I see the wooden spoon on the washing machine. That wooden spoon, I know somebody got a whooping. And then I was like, what could have happened? That he took out the, I am the queen of the wooden spoon. I haven't seen the wooden spoon in about three and a half years. And there it is, because we don't, hands are for love. We don't speak for, with hands. We don't punish them and make them go to their room. Their room is supposed to be their safe haven. And so it's in the laundry room. So I come through the door. I was like, who got a whooping? And Neil was like, it wasn't me, mommy. It was not me. And so Ray told me what happened. And I say that. Is Ray already spanked Levi? I'm not going to come in the house and say, you told the girl you will stab her with an eye and give him another spanking. He already served his punishment. 
This is to help you with forgiveness. When you decide in your mind, I'm going to make somebody pay, you're whooping them. You don't give God the room to deal with them because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. So when I come home, I'm not going to spank Levi. I'm not going to ask him about it. He's already served his punishment. And I was so shocked. I was so proud. I was like, yes, because Ray is a tender-hearted soul. And I know that took a lot for him to, to spank Levi. But we've got to put some action behind. We've got to make a little sting early because he's not going to stay seven forever. And so I'm saying that in forgiveness, when you make room for God to deal with that person, when God, deal, like Ray, spanked Levi in the privacy of the laundry room, he just didn't whoop him all over the house or in front of Nia, God may not allow you to see that person's punishment. That's not your, or, or, or the consequence, that's not your place. Because above all the things God is, he's a loving father. A loving father will chastise, correct, but he will cover your shame. He ain't going to beat you all out in front of everybody. And even people that trespass against us, the same blood and water that Jesus shed on the cross for me and you is for that person. And as a believer, we have to be so grieved and want that person to see salvation. Some of the things people have done have been horrible, but to burn in hell forever as a believer, that should just, just make you just want to go back and forgive it because that's the consequence. And when we don't forgive, it is a huge, huge deal, and we tie ourselves up. And what we don't want to happen is to stand before Jesus and he say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I know you not. And we'll say, well, I went to church. And I did good. And it could be a hang-up of unforgiveness and bitterness that can grieve the heart of God. And so I didn't. I was doing real good. I wanted to, because I've struggled with forgiveness. So this is a big thing for me. And Ray has really, prayer, but he has really helped me. Uh, even when, before we were even dating, I still have the sticky notes. I was upset about something and he gave me scripture to read because I had struggled. I don't struggle with it like I did before, but it is a huge, huge deal. So I spoke to you out of my own experience, my own missing the mark when it comes to the area of forgiveness. I've had to contend with these things is that some of you have experienced some horrific things. Give them over to God. God will repay. The Bible says if you've experienced something terrible when you're a child, the word of God says that it is better for a man to tie a rope around his neck with a rock on the other end and throw himself into a lake than to put his hands on a child. So for some of you that were even violated as children, it was not your fault. And let that person go. Just let them go so you can experience the freedom because they, they can repent, but they will stand before the Lord and they will be dealt with because of that thing. It may not keep them out of heaven, but they will deal with it. So for those of you who have been hanging on to that and you don't know how to forgive, it's every day. If all you have right now is to say, I release so-and-so from the terrible thing they did. Before you can pray for them, just say, I release so-and-so for the terrible thing they did. Just begin to release them little by little. And then the forgiveness, Lord, help them. Because people don't wake up in the morning and say, hmm, how can I be a violator and ruin somebody else's life? Brokenness begets brokenness when it's not dealt with. Amen.
Good word. And this is where we'll close uh, and let you guys go. Um, uh, keep a tender heart. Let them go. Let it go for your sake. And to Pastor Wendy's point, if you keep punishing somebody over and over again for the same offense, in our legal system it's called double jeopardy. They won't even allow you to do that after a person has served their sentence for a crime. Yet as Christians, we're guilty of double jeopardy over and over and over with the people who have hurt us and offended us and the only people we really hurt. That person has moved on with their life. Probably not even thinking about you. And the greatest gift you can give yourself is to let them go. Romans chapter 12, and this is where I close, verse 18. Romans 12, verse 18 says, if it is possible, and it's not always going to be possible, relationships are hard. It's not always going to be possible. So can I help you there? If this thing ain't working, sometimes you just got to say, I can't be your friend. You can't be my friend. And next time we talk about this, we'll talk about three kinds of relationships. All of us have. You got friends, you got foes, and you got some fools. And we are supposed to respond to those three kinds of relationships differently. And that's why when the scripture says, if it is possible, there is a relationship you're going to have with your friends. There are relationships you're going to have with fools, and then there are relationships you're going to have. So it says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. What's my part in making this thing work? I ain't got time for what they're doing. But what's my part? As much as it depends on me, I will live at peace. I will live peaceably with all men. As much as it depends on me. There are some people in life you just won't get along with. There are some people in life who just don't want to get along with you. There are some people in life you will never be good enough for. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what, whether you're there at the worst times of their lives, they're going to be like those ten lepers, the nine lepers, once they're healthy. Bye, Felicia. And they move on to the next thing. Because now I got my life back and now I'm healthy. I don't need you no more. But as much as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all men. And then he goes on. He goes on to say this. He goes on to say this in, uh, in verse 19. He says, beloved, Pastor Wendy said it, do not avenge yourselves. Don't take this thing into your own hands. As hard as it may seem, as, as tempting as it may be where you want to take matters into, he said, don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, meaning the wrath of God. God is going to take care of it. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is thirsty, feed him. Hold up. Is this how I respond to people who don't like me? I feed them? Yeah. That's what forgiveness looks like. That's how you will keep your heart tender. He says, he says if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. He says, do not be overcome with evil but overcome evil with good. Don't go over to the dark side. Stay in the light. And the picture there of coals on their heads, 
there's two pictures. One is the priest in the Old Testament. Most people say, I'm going to do that, and it's really going, it's really going to hurt them, and it, it's going to convict them. No, that's not what the Scripture is saying. The picture is that of the Old Testament where the high priest would bring coals and place it on the altar of incense. And when he put the hot coals on the altar of incense, it would rise as a sweet-smelling savor in the temple. You know what the Scripture is saying? When we turn it over to God, it becomes an act of worship. That is a sweet fragrance to God. Thank you for the one person who was blessed by that. It's about the one who came back. It's hard, but it's God's way. This is my, I promise you this is my last statement. Last one and final one. Y'all ready for this? Last one, final one. If I am in a church, even if I'm a pastor and I harbor unforgiveness in my heart, and I am a part of the body, I am withholding something from someone I'm connected to in the body that makes the whole body hurt. It's almost like having a clogged artery. And that's the, what the church has become. We're unhealthy because everybody's withholding something from somebody else. And instead of God's love flowing freely through us, we got a whole body of believers filled with clogged arteries and clogged veins because of unforgiveness and because we judge each other. In order for this church or any church to be a healthy church, it's going to require forgiveness and a judgment-free zone in order for the love of God to flow freely through each of us to one another. Let me pray for you, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word today. This is not Ray and Wendy's standard. It is your standard.